As you all know, I'm not used to uh, sitting on a stool and preaching, so I don't know how I'm going to get all of this uh, worked out, And uh, but hope you'll bear with me. Uh, some of this I'll say for maybe people out on the internet. I have had a call or two of people wondering what had happened since uh, they hadn't heard, seen any recent sermons on the internet. But uh, uh, for any that might be interested, I've been out of commission since the first day of the year. Uh, I passed out and uh, had to have a pacemaker put in. When I passed out, I broke my right ankle. And so... uh, and then uh, rehab uh, for about two and a half months. So, uh, covet your prayers and pray that the Lord would be with us. We'll be taking up today in First John chapter 2. That's where we were when we all of this came to pass. We know not what a day will bring. And... Uh, our times are in the Lord's hands and I am back driving and I don't know whether this is apropos or not but I'll go ahead and say this as well because like I said I covet all the prayers I can get Uh, when I was driving home yesterday from work I kindly not work (laughs) uh, from here uh turning the heat on and getting some groceries and so on. Uh, I dozed off for a moment and uh, messed up the side of my car by hitting a telephone pole. So uh, I don't know what all the Lord is telling me other than maybe I need to do some more repenting. (laughs) But anyway, our times are in His hands. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank You that You're there. That You are the true and the living God. That You're sovereign. You're just. You're right. And we thank You that Our times are in Your hand. There are those that despise You. We have loved ones that despise You and despise the truth that we preach. We can't do anything about that other than be faithful to Your Word or deny You, which we cannot do. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You that we have a risen Savior. 
And we thank You that each Lord's Day we recognize our Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Savior. The religious world will make much to do about that today. But my desire would be that the religious world would make much to do about it every Lord's Day and throughout the year in their daily lives and not be focused around holidays for holidays' sake. And yet I am thankful for any recognition of the truth of the Gospel. Again, we pray that You would be with us as we continue to study Your Word. For it is in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to read down through the first 14 verses of 1 John chapter 2. Though we will basically be looking at verses 10 through 14, uh, most probably most of the day. But anyway, I want to read that to kindly get some of the context. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word... In Him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also so to walk even as He walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. 
I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 10, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. I would remind you of something that I have stressed many times, but in, say, like in verse 10, where you see the E-T-H, on the verb love and on the verb abide, you particularly in the King James Bible, which bears out the truth of uh, the Greek that that is in the present tense. In other words, if we were to read that in our modern vernacular, we would say, He that is continually loving his brother is continually abiding or living in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Now we will see this as we've already seen it to some degree here in this epistle. But we will see this throughout the epistle that John is talking about a lifestyle. How one is living. Obviously, uh, later on it will say, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Well, what he's talking about there, he that is continually, habitually practicing and abiding in sin. Because we know we all sin. We are all sinners. And uh, you have sinned today. The Bible says, if any man says he hath no sin, it didn't say if any man says he hadn't sinned. It says if he doesn't have sin right now, he's a liar. He's a liar. Because we are to love God with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our understanding, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And we don't do that. We don't do that. Our mind strays off on a lot of different things. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. Is in darkness. It is obvious why our world is in the shape that it's in. 
it's obvious why people that are doing things that to us is obviously wrong and according to the scriptures is obviously wrong but they think they're right they're blinded because they hate their fellow man they hate their fellow man they're filled with hatred they're filled with hatred and if you were to tell them that, they would accuse you of being hatred, hateful because you tell them that. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. That mean, it doesn't say that he's in danger of darkness. He's in darkness. He's in darkness. And he's walking in darkness. And he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes, as verse 11 says. But verse 10 says that he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. There's a... Uh, a publication that I get uh, every quarterly called the Free Grace Broadcaster. And uh, I was in the process of reading uh, not the last issue because the last issue came about a week ago, but the one that had come at the end of the of the year for the last quarter of the year and it was called uh, stumbling blocks. It was based on this word stumble. Stumble. And it's, uh, it's where we get our English word scandal. It's the Greek word scandalon. But we'll say more about that uh, first of all, I want to uh, read something that Pink uh, said that I thought was good regarding verse 10. He said, It is no mere verbal claim which is here made, but something that speaks louder than words. It is far more than the use of endearing expressions by the lips being seen and felt in deeds. It is a real, active, benevolent affection. Notice that. He that loveth his brother. As Pink says, it's not just something said by the lips. I love you. You know, anybody can say I love you. But it's real. It's active. It's benevolent affection which suffers nothing in its objects to quench the same. As hatred is a malignant disposition which fills with ill will against another. So love is a frame of mind 
that produces respect and esteem for another. Children, if you're loving your parents, you're going to have respect and esteem for them. It'll be more than just say, I love you. You'll have respect and esteem for them. What that means is you will live your life in such a way that you would not want to bring any sad or ill feelings to your parents. And that's the way we should be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As hatred is, and Pink goes on to say, as hatred is a murderous lust that seeks to injure, love is a principle which aims at the good of its object. That which is here in view is not a natural trait but a spiritual grace. Yes, the queen of the Christian graces. It is exercised in a great variety of ways, ministering to the body, comforting the mind, promoting the welfare of the soul. It is expressed in practical forms as far as it lies within the power of of its possessor. Thus it supplies an extreme evidence of the inward reality of a real Christian profession, for such outgoings of good will fall more or less under the notice and observation of fellow saints. Is this not what uh, God inspired Paul to write in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, listen as I read the first eight verses. 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, and remember charity is another way of saying love or Christian love, I, if I don't have that, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I'm either making a loud noise or I'm making a small noise, but either way I'm just making noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You say, well, how could a person do that? How could a person give his body to be burned for a cause and it not be uh, right. Well, I remember during the Vietnam War, 
There was a man that was protesting the Vietnam War. He was a Vietnamese. He set himself down in the middle of a street, I believe in Saigon, poured a can of gasoline over him and lit it and burned himself up in protest against the war. That wasn't for the cause of God. It wasn't for the cause of Christ. He did not have charity. And it didn't profit him anything. Verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not easily puffed up. Children, what that means, if you love your brothers and sisters, you won't always be trying to go before them. You won't be trying to be number one. You'll be trying to help them to even be better than you or at least equal with you. You see, this is... You say, well, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm a Christian. I believe I love the Lord. Do you love your brothers and sisters? This is real. This is reason Pink said... Uh, It's no mere verbal claim, but it's something that speaks louder than words. Verse 5, Doth not, that is, charity doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And I'll stop there. Yes, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. He's living in the light. He's living in, in Christ. And there's no occasion of stumbling in Him. There's no scandal with Him. This word, as we said, uh, the Greek word is scandalon, and it's where our English word scandal comes. It's only used... Uh, 15 times in 13 verses. But I'm not going to look at it, but look at all of the verses, but I do want to look at a few. Look at Matthew chapter 16. This is where Peter 
uh, had, in verse 22, rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine trying to correct Christ? Peter was kindly blinded, wasn't he? You know, Jesus said that he was going to be killed and raised again from the dead. No, no, you're not going to be killed. Peter said, uh, verse 22, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But notice verse 23. But he, that is Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense. There's the word. You're a scandal to me. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You see, when we put a stumbling block, as it were, uh, in, the, uh, in the way of, of a fellow believer, and uh, then we are becoming a scandal to them. We're becoming an offense to them. We're causing them to stumble. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. In the 18th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe unto that man by whom the offense cometh. The word is offense there. Go to Romans 14. Romans 14, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block, there it is, or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. We're not to put a stumbling block. You remember in the Old Testament that there were six cities that were called cities of refuge. And they had to keep the path clear, keep the rocks and the sticks out from the path leading to those cities, lest somebody stumble while he's trying to run to the city of refuge. We don't want to put a stumbling block in the way of someone. We don't want to trip them up. We don't want to set a trap for them. We don't want to try to keep them from serving the Lord. I remember as a child, sometimes children would be playing and if uh, someone couldn't perform as good as 
some of the other children, then they try to keep the other children from performing. <laughs> they put a stumbling block in their way. So they try to make themselves look good and the other look bad. Well, we're not to do that. If we do, we're walking in darkness. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. We spoke earlier about uh, some things being taught that is contrary to the the norm of Christianity. Well, when people are doing that, they're to be marked because they're putting a stumbling block. And you have to be careful sometimes because we don't want to charge someone with heresy if they're not uh, spreading a heresy. But if somebody is teaching something new, and even in his own writings, he has said, this is new. And I'm doing what Copernicus did with regard to Galileo. I'm, I'm, I'm showing more, better, a better understanding of eschatology than, than that that has been around for over 2,000 years. I've got a new way. Well, when somebody comes up with something new like that, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. And like I said, our English word scandal comes from this. Back in 1 John... Verse 11, though we've already said some things about it. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because darkness hath blinded his eyes. Children, that doesn't mean that uh, he can't see out of his eyes, it means that uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's like children, let's say that you're learning your math families. And when you first start, you see if someone were to tell you two plus two is four, you say, well, how do I know two plus two is four? What is two plus two? What is two? You don't start with that, do you? You start with zero plus one is one. In other words, if I don't have any apples in this hand, and I have an apple in this hand, 
then you can see that nothing plus one is one. You can understand that. But you can't understand three times three is nine. Because that doesn't make sense to you. Twelve times twelve equals 144. That doesn't make sense to you. You're blinded to that until you learn it. And that's what it's talking about here. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and knoweth not whether he goeth because darkness has blinded his eyes. He doesn't understand what he's doing. And we see people on the news or in the paper or on the street that are doing things all the time and they really don't know what they're doing. They think they're free. They think what they're doing is really living. And all they're doing is treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. But how do I know? How can I know whether I am walking in darkness or not? Do you hate your brother? Or do you love your brother? Now this is based on us as Christians and how we do. But children, in your everyday life at home, this can speak volumes. It can speak volumes as to who you are and what you are. Like I said, he walketh in darkness. That's his lifestyle. And a person that is blind to the things of God is just a sign that he's an unbeliever. Doesn't matter what he says, doesn't matter what he professes. If he's walking in darkness, hating his brother, he's an unbeliever. Well, you don't know my heart. I don't have to know your heart. God knows your heart. God tells us to make an evaluation on how you live. On how you live. Alright, verses 12 through 14. I have identified this as stages of a child of God. Notice, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. 
I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, Verse 13, when he talks about little children, is a different word from little children in verse 12. And so I'm persuaded that verse 12, when it talks about, I write unto you little children, he's talking about all of God's children. But in verse 13, when he says, I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father, he's talking about uh, babes in Christ. Babes in Christ. Now, before I forget it, I think I've got it uh, mentioned later on in my outline. I want you to notice one thing. While he addresses all of God's children as little children in verse 12, he talks about fathers, young men, and little children or babes in the other verses. Now sometimes people say, well, he's just a babe in Christ and he doesn't understand anything. The Word of God says that these little children, they know the Father. They know the Father. In other words, they have an understanding of God. They may not have an understanding like some saint that's been serving the Lord for several years. But they know the Father. They know, they know God. And while we, we will study somewhat little children, young men, and fathers, these are not some unique categories of a Christian. In other words, you say, well, he's a young man in Christ, or he's a babe in Christ, or he's a father in Christ. And that may fit the description of the individual at that time. But it could be that sometimes the, the father might be acting like a babe in Christ. Or the mother may be acting like a, a young lady in Christ rather than a, a, mature, uh, a mature saint. In other words, though John talks about the three different classifications here, This is not a New Testament pattern that can be proven that 
you fall into one of those categories and not possibly in another. And we cannot rule out a child in the womb. Whatever you may think about John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, it says without question he leaped for joy. There were some cognizant, there were some understanding on a deeper level than the natural understanding of John in the womb of his mother when Mary walked into the house that day. You say, what was it? I don't know. All it says, he leapt for joy. And I could just stop there. You say, well, how, how could he rejoice? You'll have to ask God that when you see him, if you think about it. Probably you'll see Christ and you'll be so wrapped up in Christ you might forget some of these other trivial questions. But maybe not. Who knows? Jeremiah was known in his mother's womb. Paul was separated from his mother's womb. You find those in Jeremiah one five and Galatians 1.15. But it does not teach that Paul was regenerated prior to birth. It may be the case with Jeremiah. It may not. Who knows? But there's Christians of all different types and classes. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, it talks about children, fathers, mothers, servants, masters. All of these were Christians. You might, a, a servant might be a father in Christ where the master was only a babe in Christ. I do not remember whether the master was converted or not, but I remember reading years ago in the autobiography of Elder Wilson Thompson where the master had a slave that wanted to be baptized and uh, uh, the master wouldn't allow it. But to make a long story short, finally, uh, Wilson Thompson baptized the slave without the master knowing about it. After the slave had been baptized, the master noticed there was something different about the slave. He was more joyful. He was more productive in his work. In other words, he just his whole countenance had changed. And he wanted to know what happened. Oh, 
I don't remember the slave's name. I'll just call him John. What happened to old John? Well, they found out that John had gotten baptized. Well, he said, if that's going to make the difference, I'll have all my slaves be baptized. In other words, uh, this slave had more uh, uh, maturity of Christ in him than the master, who may very well have been a, a church member. Or he may not. I don't remember. But what I'm trying to show that just because you are a child or a mother or a father or a brother or sister or whatever you may be, you may fit one of these stages. You might be a father. You might be a young man. You might be an infant in some things. Colossians 3.18-3.4.1 talks about the same things of wives, husbands, children, servants, masters. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2 talks about older men, older women, younger women, and by implication, younger men, though not necessarily the case in every situation. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 talks about servants and masters. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 talks about wives and husbands. Other examples. i got to get off this stool for a minute. <laughs> Other examples. There's children like Samuel. You remember Samuel? The Lord spoke to him. And Timothy... He was First uh, Timothy three fifteen talks about he had known the scriptures from his infancy. Joseph, David, Josiah, they were young men, but very very mature in Christ. There were fathers such as old. Manasseh of Cyprus, who was an old disciple, Acts nineteen sixteen says. And in Philemon chapter or verse nine, Paul was called the aged. So we must bear in mind when it talks about young men, uh, fathers, uh, in, uh uh, little children, that these div divisions are not always exact. There are different stages among believers. And you have that same thing with congregations. The congregation at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3 1. They were designated as being immature. The whole congregation. The Hebrew Christians in Hebrews 5.12 were considered to be weak. But conversely, David, or maybe David, we can say the psalmist for sure, <clears throat> 
But if, if David or whoever wrote Psalm 119, in verse 100 he said that he knew more than the ancients. He knew more than those that were older. So whatever we are, whether we are a little child, whether we are a young individual or a mature individual, we all are exhorted to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all are to grow. Pete said, and I read, while the differences between the three classes in the school of Christ are more or less clearly marked, probably much more so in the apostles' day than in ours, yet we need to be upon our guard against so partitioning all believers in our mind that we attribute all the knowledge to the fathers or all the strength to the young men. That would be contrary to Scripture and experience alike. As the fathers have strength, so the young men possess knowledge, though not the same extent. So too, if the young men in Christ overcome the wicked one, so do babes in their measure and degree, and the fathers also. It is also to be borne in mind that Christian experience is not always uniform or unvarying even in the same individual. The mature saint may in some respect be as weak as the most recent convert and in certain regards be tempted as fiercely as the young men. In general, we may say that God so ordered His providences with the different members of His family that each of them is given opportunity to exercise and make manifest these Christian characteristics in due course so that in their season those graces shine forth with greater clearness. So I hope when you read these verses which we'll say a little bit more about them as we go forward. But as you read these verses, you will not just automatically put someone in a, one class without another. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for teaching us That we do, not, we do not come to one stage in life and live in that particular environment in every situation. We all may be babes in one way and mature in another. Help us and strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.